Good morning. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Welcome to a Thursday. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. With individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle, you can learn more and find your plan at Delta Dental Covers Me. Dot com And uh, happy to say that uh, joining us on this Thursday morning is the executive editor of SoxProspects.com, now in its 20th year, Chris Hatfield. Chris, welcome back. Great to have you with us. It's always a pleasure to start my day chatting with you, uh, chatting some Red Sox, Ken. Thanks for having me on. Well, I certainly echo those sentiments. And uh, on your website is a, is a great mm-hmm. piece that uh, Alex Spear of the Boston Globe did uh, over a month ago now, back in September. And mm-hmm. and a uh, great piece about the origins of, uh, of SoxProspects.com. Yeah, it's we like you mentioned. We're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, which you know we were talking before the show started. It's, it's kind of crazy to think about uh, Mike Andrews, who's our editor in chief and founder, starting you know de- designing a website on a whim while on his honeymoon back in in '03, becoming what we are now, where we've got you know a staff of folks, and I like to say you know we're I, I think we're kind of the authority, if, if I can be so bold on on the Red Sox farm system just because we can have that sort of singular focus on covering the Red Sox organization and in particular the farm system. Uh, it, it's become, we've come a long way from those humble origins, but it's been great to look back and celebrate for those who are, you know, into the whole podcast thing back in September, we had a couple of episodes where we really took a deep dive back and at, at the site's origins and, and how we've come to be what we are today, but yeah, Alex did a great job with that article uh, on In the Globe too. So thanks to Alex for that. He's he's a gem. We we love that guy. But uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been really fun, kind of being able to look back this year at the history of the site and how we got to where we are today, and 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 the work that's gone into it from the owners now all the way down to everyone who's had who's volunteered, and you know, folks like you who certainly helped us get the word out by by you know having us on the show here and things like that too. So thank you for your part. Well, Tim. you're most welcome. It's an invaluable uh, website for sure. Uh, Eighteen million views per year, and I will bet uh, a lot of those from the from the baseball community. Sure. Yeah, and I mean that's another thing that's been really neat is we've been able to develop, you know, a network of folks within the game who we, you know, like like the scouts who we talk to about players in the system, talking to to folks in the front office. You know, uh, there have been plenty of times when I've met someone and they've been like, "Oh yeah, no, I've listened to your podcast," uh, which is kind of crazy yeah. to think about. You know that you know high-ranking officials in the organization listening to the podcast while they're on the treadmill in the morning, but it's a thing that happens. So, uh, yeah, we've, we've worked really hard to get where we are. We've worked really hard to make sure we're doing things the right way, and I think that that's been appreciated throughout the game, both within the Red Sox organization and throughout, uh, throughout baseball. And I think some people may assume that, uh, you know, every team in the major leagues has a website like this, but you're not affiliated uh, with, with the Red Sox, and, and I'm sure uh, there aren't too many websites like this uh, uh, out there. Yeah, that's my understanding. And, you know, there have been times over the years when, when Mike talked to folks who were looking to start something similar for, for a different organization, and, you know, we've always been happy to do that. You certainly don't have the market cornered on that sort of thing, but... It's a lot of work for, you know, this is not our full-time gig by any stretch of the imagination. So you really have to love what you're doing uh, to make it work and make it worthwhile. And luckily we do. And we've, we've got a lot of folks on our staff who feel the same. 
and uh, and, and it's worked out great so far in that respect. But yeah, it's, it's my understanding it's certainly not something every team has. That's, no, That's that, for sure. So we're happy to be able to provide that resource. Oh, I, I know when I was doing uh, Lowell Spinners baseball for mm-hmm. a number of years, it was uh, mm-hmm. just just a, a great tool to have. No no doubt about that. And I'm sure uh, you know, all broadcasters uh, feel that way about this, this website. But uh, since the last time we spoke, Chris, you have a new number one with a bullet yeah, uh, prospect yeah. in Roman Anthony. Yeah, well, we just updated to our season-end rankings just before the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, a lot of work into the, went into that one, you know, our end-of-year rankings. We update monthly, but, you know, the, the beginning-of-the-year rankings, the end-of-year rankings, and kind of the mid-year are really big touch points where we sort of take a step back, look at what we've got, and we don't want to just have guys ranked because of inertia, right? We want to make sure we're being deliberate about who we have where, in this case, with the number one prospect on the list, we had a lot of debate between Roman Anthony, who is an outfielder who finished the year in Portland, and shortstop, shortstop Marcelo Meyer, who was the incumbent number one, who also finished the year in Portland. And, and we had a lot of debate, and it's, it's not a unanimous thing among us uh, on the staff. And even for those of us who went one way or another, it wasn't with the, you know, 100% certain conviction, not to say that we're not happy with where we wound up with Anthony number one. He had a tremendous season rising all the way from low A Salem up to double A Portland. He's made himself one of the top, certainly at least consensus 25 prospects in the game. I'm sure maybe it'll be even higher when all the top 100 lists come out this off season, but it's close. It's very close. And it's much more something I would attribute to Anthony's rise. than I think a lot of people thought it's Marcelo Meyer's stock falling. And I, I wouldn't say that at all. Anthony at a, you know, a very age advanced level throughout most of the year had just absolutely terrific peripherals. I, I believe we talked earlier in the year, Ken, about how in Salem, Anthony really didn't have numbers that jumped off the page at you. If you looked at things like batting average or even on base percentage or slugging, um, it, they didn't jump off the page, but what you had to do is look deeper. He was swinging at good pitches. He was not chasing outside of the zone. He was making contact in the zone, and he was hitting the ball with a lot of authority. So it wasn't really surprising when he did get what was something of a surprising promotion to Greenville, and then an even more surprising promotion to Portland for the last month or so of the season. He put up terrific numbers because those things kind of, you know, evened out. You know, he kind of regressed to the mean a bit in that he was hitting the ball with a ton of authority and hitting good pitches, uh, and, and that's going to go take you a long way. Another thing is that he showed that he's probably going to be able to stick in center field if everything breaks right. There were questions when he was drafted about whether he would, but uh, it looks at this point like he's answering a lot of those. He played a pretty good defensive center field. If he can stay up the middle in center field and hit the way he did at an age-advanced level this year, that's a guy you love to have your top prospect in the system. Meyer, on the other hand, tough year, dealing with some injuries and things like that. The numbers weren't great, but it turned out he was apparently injured in May and tried to play through it. Not the first guy to do that. Um, so, you know, him trying to recover from that. Like I said, it's really more Anthony rising than concerns about Meyer. We still really like Meyer as well, and he would have been fine at number one as well. And there were some of us who did want to keep him there. Yeah, so uh, his stock has not uh, fallen at all, uh, Marcelo Meyer. So that's that's uh, uh, good to hear. And uh, as you said, the the shoulder injury that uh, a lot of people perhaps didn't know about uh, last year and had a you know a, a tough a tough time between uh, just seventy eight games between Greenville and, and Portland last year. He did have six home runs uh, at Portland, but uh, he did strike out a lot. 
He did, and it, it's kind of funny. When he eventually at the end of the year, you know, he gets shut down with the sole shoulder injury suddenly during the year in about, it was either late July or early August, I want to say. I don't know the number at the top of my head. But, you know, when he revealed when he got hurt, it was at the tail end of a series where he had gone absolutely bonkers with Greenville. He was our player of the week that week, and he hurt his shoulder diving into second base in the last game of that series. If you look at his splits before and after that injury, they are stark. Yeah. You know, we're talking several hundred points of OPS. So it's always tough to say, well, the season's a wash for the guy, and you feel about the same, but you do. Uh, you know, we just... I think we feel a little bit better about Anthony relative to Meyer right now, just in that he showed we could do at an age advanced level this year and, and, and did put up that performance. Whereas with Meyer, it would just be good to see it on the field. He's still going to be a top 30 prospect in the game at the very least this offseason, if not more so, maybe top 20. Uh, still very highly regarded throughout the game. But, you know, like I said, it's, it's really split talking to scouts. Some like Meyer more, some like Anthony more. Um, uh, you know, within national publications, I've heard as well. There's some of, something of a split too. So, you know, we were in that camp too, but decided to lean Meyer at this point in time. Certainly, a lot to cover oh, here. Sorry, on... Lean Anthony, I yeah, yeah say, not Meyer. right. <laughs> uh, lots to cover here on this uh, Thursday morning with uh, Chris Hatfield, the executive editor of SoxProspects.com. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm really intrigued uh, by the number three prospect, a left-handed hitting catcher, uh, Kyle Teal. I saw him play once at uh, at Portland uh, this year, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I was very impressed. First-year pro, I know he played three years at the University of Virginia, but first-year pro, I, I thought, handled himself, had a, a great release behind the plate. He is a very intriguing prospect. He really is. And, you know, when's the last time the Red Sox had a top-catching prospect? It's probably like Blake Swihart we're, we're going back to for the old heads listening. But, uh, yeah, Teal is a very intriguing guy who really fell to the Red Sox at 14 this year. So, you know, it's a good draft pick to have, but... You know, for what they got at that at that pick, it seems like the Red Sox did make out and get a good one in Kyle Teal. He played a couple of games at the complex, went straight to high A Greenville and was in Portland by the end of the year. Looked really good behind the plate. He's very athletic. His his uh, college coach at UVA compared to him to a Craig Biggio, not necessarily in that he can play second right now or something like that, but in that he is very athletic behind the plate. Yeah. He's not yeah. one of these big stocky catcher types. Um, true baseball rat, loves the game, would, you know, stay for extra hitting in college all the time. You know, they had to, would have to, turn, type of kid they had to turn the lights out on because he'd be there so late doing extra hitting. So yeah. you love to hear about that. And he's a guy who could potentially have impact in all aspects of the game. If he, if he's able to develop a hit tool that grades out as average or even above average, which is certainly a possibility. He's a guy that can have impact on all sides of the ball at the catcher position, which is not something that there's a lot of in the game today. So we really like him. Was another, you know, the number three prospect was another debate we had between him and say Don Rafaela, but we really like what they got in Kyle Field this year in the draft. Chris Hatfield is with us from SoxProspects.com. We have to take a quick break, Chris. We will be right back. Talk some more right here on Kale & Company Live, WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Kale & Company Live on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com. Chris Hatfield with us, executive editor of SoxProspects.com, now in its uh, 20th season. And Chris, uh, last year, Red Sox fans 
had an opportunity to see uh, two of the top prospects for a little while in uh, Red Sox uniform, Sedan uh, Rafaela and also uh, Willier Abreu. Uh, both, I thought, uh, performed uh, quite well. They, they weren't uh, you know, blown away by, uh, by big league pitching. Uh, what, are, what are their ceilings in the organization? Well, you know, it's funny. Abreu probably had the better, de- not probably, he, he definitely had the better debut. Uh, but we've got Rafaela ranked a little higher. Like I was saying before the break, we've got him at number four, where we were considering him at number three on our rankings. And he's a guy who really can potentially bring it on all sides, you know, in all impacts, uh, all aspects of the game sort of player. Uh, has pretty good speed. His calling card is his defense and center field, and he's versatile enough that he could also play shortstop for you at an above-average at least level. So a uh, really def- versatile defender. The thing that he's going to have to answer is at the plate, he's one of the most aggressive swingers in the system, uh, really you know, loves to chase p- pitches outside of the zone. So how he turns out on offense is really going to depend on how much he's able to rein that in and how much major league pitchers are going to be able to take advantage of him. Rafael was able to put up really good numbers in AAA despite that tendency to expand the zone. So it's just a matter of seeing, you know, how much he's able to do at the major league level where right now at each level of the minors, there's a really big jump from one level to another, more so than at any time I can remember, in part because, you know, you mentioned the little spinners, Ken. Removing short season A ball really did kind of lead, as I thought it might, to an expansion of the amount of the talent level at each level, so that means as you jump between levels, they are much bigger jumps. That includes to the major leagues, of course. So I, I want to see how much him expanding the zone is something that causes him trouble. It did a little bit in his debut, so he's going to have some questions to answer in that respect. As for Abreu, you know, he's a guy who, first of all, let's give Hein Bloom some credit that Christian Vasquez trade with Houston for Abreu and Emmanuel Valdez is turning out to be an absolute one, you know, lopsided W for the Red Sox with what they've got, even if they were just for Abreu. He really, really opened some eyes last off, last season. Uh, he was the Worcester, the Worcester Red Sox MVP, put in a terrific season, uh, was an International League postseason all-star uh, in, in the outfield for them. Showed that he could play a pretty good defensive outfield. He probably is, he's more of a corner outfielder than a center fielder. He's not a guy that I think isn't any danger of, of starting in center field for the Red Sox or anything. But that said, uh, you know, acquitted himself pretty well in the corners. So, you know, maybe he's a guy who could handle right field regularly for the team if, if they wanted him to. Uh, but at the plate, he also showed he's got some pop and he can, you know, put the bat on the ball as far as having a pretty good hit tool. And I, I'm very interested to see how he factors in to the major league club's plans this year, whether they plan to give him some run out there to start. I think a lot of that's going to depend on what they do this offseason. Do they move an Alex Verdugo? Do they plan on Masataka Yoshida getting a lot more of his time at DH? Does that open up some playing time for Bray, or do they wind up going and getting, you know, someone else in the outfield? You know, as much as I would love to see Juan Soto as a Red Sox, that's going to take a lot in terms of, of a trade. So there's a lot of moving pieces there that, that could factor into Abreu and, and Rafael. I think Rafael almost certainly starts the year in AAA. He needs a little bit more seasoning. But Abreu is a guy who's ready to come up now, even if it's in that fourth outfielder role, sort of apprenticeship-type role, and we'll see what he's able to push his way into doing in the coming year. But he jumped, I believe, to number eight in our rankings when mm. he started last year, I think, in the, in the, the low, low 20s. So wow. he had a terrific season and really opened some eyes, including ours. 
Would you agree, Chris, that uh, the Red Sox, uh, having finished last three of the last four seasons, they have to make a splash this offseason? You mentioned Juan Soto, Juan Soto uh, now with San Diego. Uh, would they be willing to include Marcelo Meyer in a Juan Soto trade? It's tough to say, Ken, because here's the problem: is Soto's only got one year left before free agency. Right. Yeah. And while you're trading for the right to essentially have an exclusive negotiating window with him, that's a lot of risk to take on to trade one of the top prospects in the game. I would want to avoid including Anthony or including Meyer, maybe even Teal. But beyond that, I think I, I'm a lot more willing to move a guy for someone like Soto, who's really a generational type hitter even if he doesn't add a ton on defense i mean can you imagine him putting benson in the monster and just you know working counts just a terrific all-around hitter i'd love to have Juan soto on this team but again with one year of control that's a big risk uh, as far as having to make a big splash to me the bigger splash needs to be on the pitching side i, I think this the starting pitching is the area that most obviously needs addressing this offseason, I think what the Red Sox need, look, they've got a number of, sorry, as you hear my dog barking, um, they've got another number of three, you know, three to five types that really, you know, are major league starters to be sure, but what they need is that ace. You know, Chris Sale's not that anymore. Brian Bayo is not that yet if he's going to get there. I want to see them add a guy or two at the top of the rotation. You know, is that Yamamoto from Japan? Is that Jordan Montgomery, who, as we learned this week, apparently, I guess his wife is a resident at a Massachusetts hospital right, he's living in Boston yeah, right now, something which is up. wild. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like, hey, you know, that's a, you know, for all the guys the Red Sox lost on last offseason, like uh, you know the uh, Zach Eflins of the world who wanted to be closer to home. You know, hey, that's a selling point for Jordan Montgomery. You don't have to go anywhere. Sign with us. So I think that's where I'd really like to see them make a splash. But that said, there's definitely room for them to go find someone on the offensive side of the ball. They need a right-handed bat. Craig Breslow has acknowledged as much. Um, you know, maybe or even if you go get someone like Soto, there's room to do that. And they've certainly got some room under the CBT. And one would presume they're going to go over this year because they ducked under last year. So they've got a lot of wiggle room monetarily to spend and bring someone in. So I, I think – not not to make a splash to excite the fan base or anything. I just think that's where they need to add is at that sort of top-level star or ace starting pitcher, and they certainly could bring in someone with the bat as well to kind of give some help to the to the Devers and, and, and Co. in the lineup. Yeah, no no doubt about that. You mentioned uh, Bloom a couple of times, and of course mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. no longer with the organization. Craig Breslow has uh, taken over his role. Uh, what what were your thoughts on the the firing of, of, of Bloom? You know, it's interesting, and I'm sure what, what, you know, Bloom would say is that he thought that they were, he was doing what he was supposed to be doing, right? You know, rebuild the farm system, rebuild. A lot of what he did, fans won't see. You know, folks point to the farm system, and that's an easy way to sort of see progress. But I think a lot of what Bloom did was behind the scenes, improving things like processes and, and, you know, the ways the Red Sox did things in terms of scouting and analytics. And that sort of thing. You know, they brought in a bunch of driveline guys for player development. Um, they, they did a lot in that sense, I think, under Bloom's tenure. But that said, in Boston, you can't finish in last three out of four years. It's just not – that's not going to keep you employed is the long and short of it, which is kind of unfortunate. And I think there were some issues at the major league level with just, you know, things like conviction. Um, you know, you can only finish second or third for free agents so many times before it's not – tough luck the guy wanted to go somewhere else, right? Part of it is you got to convince guys to come here. 
you know, Dave Dombrowski probably was a little too much in the other direction, overpaying in trades or, or in free agency. But, uh, you know, you've got to get it done at the major league level too. at least stay competitive. Yep. And they had 2021, but that just wasn't enough. Breslow, you hear the guy talk for two seconds. You can tell he's a smart guy. Uh, I love to say that he's the first uh, Red Sox chief baseball officer with a SoxProspects.com player page because, you know, you mentioned we've been around for 20 years. That includes when he was a pitcher in the farm system and with the major league clubs. So uh, he's very smart, clearly a rising star in the game. And I think they realized that if they wanted to get Breslow, they had to give him the number one job because if they didn't, they were probably going to lose him in a year or two because his his stock was rising that quickly. That said, we'll see what he does. Uh, We we really don't have a lot of data points yet. We'll we'll see what happens at the winter meetings that are coming up, I think, next week. You know, they're at the beginning of December. So that's going to be his opportunity to potentially make a splash, and we'll see if he gets any of these big free agents, make a splash with a trade or something like that. Some of the moves around the margins, you know, the Louis, Luis Urias for Isaiah Campbell deal is a nice little piece of business, I think. A, you know, move around the margins, but we'll see what he does with the bigger stuff uh, coming up in only, the very near term here, I think. Well, only a few seconds less left, Chris, but will the Red Sox make any any strides at the big, big splash of Shohei Otani? Any chance at all that that could happen? <laughs> It, I, I, there's definitely not a 0% chance, but the fit is kind of tough. Loves, I'd love to see Shohei Otani in, in Boston, one of the most exciting players in the game. I just think the fit's a little tough for what they need. I think they need starting pitching this year, which he can't really give them quite yet. Uh, I'd love to see it. I just think it's tough where they need maybe two or three or four guys to tweak around the around the roster. Getting that one big splash may kind of limit them in ways that I, may hinder more than help. Just as a fan, which I am, I, I would sacrifice that one year for Shohei Otani. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. He's exciting, man. I, I love seeing this morning one of the kids in the Little League World Series, they have the questions they ask them. He's asked, who's your favorite superhero? And he said, Shohei Otani. And I, I can't argue. I really can't argue. I'm not surprised. Chris Hatfield, uh, Executive Director of SoxProspects.com. Great website. Check it out. Chris, as always, the time goes by too quickly, and I uh, hope to talk to you soon. Definitely. If we don't talk before, then you have a great holiday, buddy. You as well. Thanks. All right. Take care. Chris Hatfield, check out the website, SoxProspects.com. 18 million views per year, folks. We'll be right back. WKXLNHTalkRadio.com. Stay with us. Welcome back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. With individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle, you can learn more and find your plan at DeltaDentalCoversMe.com. Don't forget uh, tomorrow, the Friday Fun Bunch. Tom Raffio, President and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental, and Kitty Ray, our resident flick chick, We'll be in studio live here uh, tomorrow morning between, uh, oh, like uh, 8.05-ish and uh, and 9 on WKXL, 14.50 on the AM dial, 103.9 in the Capital Region, and 101.9 FM, our newest signal in the Manchester area, which really uh, covers a, a lot of ground. Uh, and uh, if you're in downtown Manchester, uh, you'll have... Uh, 1019 on your dial WKXL comes in crystal clear uh, in the in the Queen City so we're, we're happy about that and you know I am happy that uh, our previous guest Chris Hatfield did not rule out 
I mean, he didn't say there was a big chance that the Red Sox would sign Shohei Otani, but at least Chris, who is more of a realist uh, than I am, uh, did not rule out that possibility. And as I said, you know, I am a fan. I, I you know, disappointed the Red Sox have finished last three of the last four seasons, but I would sacrifice one more year. Because Shohei Otani uh, recently underwent elbow surgery. He will not be able to pitch in 2024. That has already been determined. But he still will be able to hit in 2024. And then he's going to resume his dual duties with whichever club he signs with in 2025. So I would sacrifice that one year of him not pitching uh, uh, for the sake of having him on the team. Uh, I mean, he is just, you know, uh, the probably the most amazing. <clears throat> Sorry, I just get choked up thinking about it. The most amazing uh, baseball player we have ever seen in our lifetime. Certainly my lifetime. I, I'm not old enough to have seen Babe Ruth play. Trust me, I'm not. Maybe, maybe I... I feel like it some days, but uh, no. Uh, Shohei Otani is, is certainly uh, with what he can do at the plate and on the mound, second to none uh, among uh, baseball players that really anybody has uh, ever witnessed that is still walking the face of the earth uh, because he is just a more than a generational talent. Uh, he is just someone that, uh, well, you heard Chris say there was somebody who asked, uh, a, a young youngster was asked who his favorite superstar was, a superhero was, and he said Shohei Otani because that's, he's larger than life. Uh, he is. And maybe the fact, I, I'm holding on to this possibility, folks, holding on to this possibility uh, that uh, uh, perhaps the fact that New Balance uh, for which uh, Shohei Otani is is the face of New Balance uh, right now. You see him on commercials all the time. New Balance is based in Boston. If that makes any difference, uh, maybe. Uh, you know, you, you just have to kind of grasp onto these things and, and hope. I heard some talk yesterday the Atlanta Braves may be uh, one of the destinations that uh, – they're talking about for Shohei Otani. But nonetheless, I'm still holding out the possibility that uh, Shohei could be wearing a Boston Red Sox uniform. Oh, man, that, that would be something. I'll tell you, you would not uh, be able to uh, get tickets at uh, the price you got them for last year. That's, that's for sure uh, for the Red Sox. Uh, anyway, it's just uh, maybe a pipe dream. But I'll hold on to it as long as it lasts. Uh, Henry Kissinger passed away uh, yesterday, the German-born American diplomat, academic, and uh, presidential advisor who served as Secretary of State for two presidents and left his stamp on uh, U.S. foreign policy for decades, died at the age of 100. 100 years old. I can't imagine. Uh, I mean, even at my advanced age living another 30-plus years. A statement uh, released by uh, Kissinger Associates said Kissinger died Wednesday at his home in Connecticut. Uh, Kissinger was both revered and controversial, 
praised by supporters as a brilliant strategist and condemned by his critics as a master manipulator. He pioneered the policy of a detente with the Soviet Union, began a uh, reapproachment with China, and won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1973 for negotiating the Paris Peace Accords to end the U.S. involvement in Vietnam. Some of his policies remain controversial, and uh, journalist Seymour Hersh claimed in 2002 the dark side of Henry Kissinger is very, very dark, end quote. Even his appearance seemed at odds with his social life, portly, bespectacled, and heavily accented. Kissinger was far from the idea of a Hollywood Adonis, yet at various points before his second marriage, uh, according to his biographer, Walter Isaacson, Kissinger, get this now, folks, and you folks that were around like me at the time, know that Kissinger dated several high-profile actresses like Jill St. John, Shirley MacLaine, Marlo Thomas, Candace Bergen, and Lee Ullman. It must have been for his brain, right? And uh, he once said, Kissinger himself once said, power is the ultimate aphrodisiac. There you go. So Henry Kissinger, what, what a life. Whether you uh, agreed with his policies or vehemently disagreed with what he did when he was Secretary of State and, uh, you know, as an advisor as well, uh, he had quite a life. You would have to agree that uh, Henry Kissinger had uh, quite a life and uh, passed away uh, yesterday at the age of 100 uh, years old. So that, uh, that is something. Hey, by the way, something uh, very unique is going to take place, and I'm not in the, in the business of uh, promoting television shows or uh, anything else, but uh, it's a high-profile general election-style debate amid the presidential primary season, uh, pitting two relatively young and uh, very well-known governors of large states who have a knack for grabbing national attention. Tonight on uh, Fox News, on the Fox News channel, on the uh, Sean Hannity show, uh, Democrat Governor Gavin Newsom of California and Republican Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, who have been uh, trading fire, trading barbs, for nearly two years, will tangle on Thursday night in prime time. But this time, their slugfest will be face to face. Of course, DeSantis has been in New Hampshire a lot prior to the first in the nation presidential primary. And uh, Newsom, who Republican critics charge is running a shadow campaign for the White House, even though he repeatedly stomps on such speculation as ridiculous, will face off tonight. Sean Hannity will be the moderator. It is going to be some kind of an event. I mean, it really and truly is. I mean, this is uh, virtually unprecedented that you have someone running for president and somebody, yeah, let's face it, DeS uh, DeSantis is officially running for president, 
Newsom, I think, would like to be the Democratic nominee for president in 2024. Uh, of course, he's not going to uh, interfere with what's going on with uh, the uh, Joe Biden campaign, as it were. But I don't know. I, I think maybe the Democrats might have a better shot at retaining the White House if Gavin Newsom, governor of California, uh, was their nominee. He's there, folks. We shall see how it plays out, but it should be fun tonight to see two governors of uh, huge states, Florida and California, go at it, hammer and tong, on live TV. Can't wait to see that one uh, unfold. Uh, We will take a break and uh, maybe hint at something that is coming your way, hopefully very soon here on WKXL. Have I grabbed your attention? All right, stay with us. Kale and Company continues after these words on WKXL NHTalkRadio.com presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Welcome back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL NHTalkRadio.com presented by our good friends at Northeast Delta Dental. A reading from an article uh, in... NH Magazine, you can uh, read it as well at nhmagazine.com. Whether you're stuck in traffic or strolling through a supermarket parking lot, you are far more likely to see vanity plates, also known as personalized license plates in the Granite State, than anywhere else in New England. Let me repeat that, anywhere else in New England. Maybe the country, too. According to the New Hampshire Department of Safety, 13% of motorists or one out of every eight registered vehicles here currently has a personalized or vanity plate per capita that's twice as common as the state of Maine and nearly 10 times as common as Massachusetts. 10 times! So for local drivers who like word games, that means an ongoing stream of entertainment. Vanity plates have their own unique language, a blend between the spelling rules of texting and the wordplay on old school calculators. Because of space limitations, vowels are often deleted and certain numbers are interchangeable with letters. Zeros are switched with O's. Ones are either I's or L's, threes or backward E's, fours can be substituted for A's and fives can be S's. And uh, our general manager, our esteemed general manager and the producer of this program, uh, Kat Martinez, recently acquired a vanity plate. Isn't that true? I did. You did? Yes. Have you ever had one before? I, I have not, but it's been a goal of mine. Yeah. So here we are. Here we are. <laughs> uh, the final day of November is the first days, uh, first day, I should say, that this plate has gone public, correct? You are correct. Or maybe yesterday. Well, yesterday. Maybe yesterday yeah, for yeah, a yeah. short time. But today, the you first first full day of, of this new license plate, I, I won't tell you what it is unless you want to. <laughs> Unless you want to, but I won't. I won't mention it. But she has joined the ranks 
of people with vanity plates here in the state of New Hampshire. And I would bet if we did a study on this, Kat, that, uh, you know, not only do we have more vanity plates per capita than any state in New England, I, I bet we, uh, we, we challenge the entire country. No, I bet no state in the union has more vanity plates per capita than the state of New Hampshire. I agree. We're very creative here. We are. In New Hampshire. And, and it is like a, a continual kind of a guessing game for people as they, even if you're stuck in traffic, sometimes you're entertained by trying to figure out what the license plate is trying to say. That's true. Yeah. So, you know, you would almost call it here in New Hampshire. And I, this is, is a phrase I have not heard used, but I would call it vanity insanity in yes. the state of New Hampshire. But I mean that in a good way. I mean that in a good way, because it is entertaining, and uh, I I have never really had a a quote unquote vanity plate, uh, but that doesn't mean I'm not vain. But I've never had a vanity plate, uh, and maybe someday I will. Uh, who knows? But uh, a lot of people do, as we heard, one in eight. Uh, registered motor vehicles in the state of New Hampshire. I think that's a pretty high percentage. One in eight uh, has a, a vanity plate. And now we've added cat to that list. <laughs> so so there you go. Yeah, it's I, I really live for the, the spooky. I love Halloween. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I'll just say it. I'll just tell them because oh, now, okay. now they can keep an eye out. So now people will know who it is yes, when you they, see this vehicle. They will know. Yeah, my license plate says witch on it but it's spelled with two v's like the movie v-v-i-t-c-h yeah uh so if you see the resident witch driving around it's the general manager of wksl <laughs> there you go v-v-i-t-c-h and from a distance from a distance it looks like it, it could be a w it could be a W when yeah. you put those two V's together. I had to get creative because somebody else took the W. So wherever you are, I'm going to find you because so you, you, I want to know who You it did is. get creative. There's no doubt about that. So what I thought, and, and we probably won't start this because, you know, the holidays were upon us and we're busy doing a lot of other things. But after the first of the year, after the first of the year, I think, Kat, mm-hmm. and, and here we go. We were talking about this. We had a little... Uh, little conversation about this earlier, but I think after the first of the year, we should have a contest here. Uh, and I don't want anybody to steal this idea, uh, but I'm going to mention it. And, and we call it Vanity Insanity. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, some of our KXL staff will be uh, driving around the greater Concord, Manchester area where our signal is and, uh, and, and looking for vanity plates and spotting uh, unique vanity plates and then we will mention them on the air like we might mention one plate a day uh here on the show and if that person contacts us uh gives us a call uh we might have a nice prize for that person yes and now that it's been mentioned on the air it's considered intellectual property so nobody else can take it no, nobody if somebody steals vanity insanity we will know we will know where they got it from we will know and we'll go after you folks we, we will. will go after you <laughs> uh but uh, at any rate uh i i think it'll be a lot of fun i i really do and uh, i i you know i i have to tell you uh i i have actually sat uh, downtown in, in concord right out in front after i bought a coffee or you know a muffin or whatever from uh, the Works Cafe in, in downtown uh, Concord. 
sitting out there on a on a Saturday morning after I've been to the farmer's market or before I go to the farmer's market on Saturday mornings, sit out there and actually, this is the kind of exciting life I lead, folks. I actually jot down some of the vanity plates that I see passing by. And and so we'll do this. We'll we'll you know every every staff member here at WKXL will be assigned to, you know, look for a vanity plate, and uh, and we'll announce it on the air. This is after the first of the year. Don't get too excited, but uh, we we'll put it into motion very soon. But uh, we'll we'll mention it from time to time between now and then. But uh, we'll we'll officially start it. Uh, you know, right uh, after the first of the year. Yeah, we have uh, some ideas in play oh, for next yeah. year. Oh, My father have... has a vanity plate, actually. Really? Yeah, he's Mr. M. <laughs> Mr. M. Okay, well, that's so they makes call sense. him in school for music as a music teacher. Mr. M. Mr. M. Uh, so you know that it's Cat's dad. Yep. Uh, when you see the plate, Mr. M. <laughs> and you know it's Cat if you see V V I T C H cruising around the Greater Concord, Manchester area. Tis me. So that's you. So, all right. So there you go. Those of you with vanity plates now have been advised that we will be looking for you in a good way. In a good way. It could mean a, a nice prize here from one of our great WKXL sponsors. So uh, we look forward to that after the first of the year. This, it's hard to believe, isn't it, Kat, that this is the last day of November? I don't know where this year went it was probably one of the longest, shortest years of my life. <laughs> but I, I, I think you have been busy every single day of 2023. Yeah, the work it, never stops in here and in theater. So That's true. That is very true. And uh, today, by the way, is National Mason Jar Day. <laughs> you didn't know Mason Jars actually had a day of their own. Uh, plus, it's uh, National Moose Day. Now, not like, not like the ones that some hunters go after in the woods. This is like chocolate mousse. So I I I much prefer chocolate mousse than shooting a mousse. Likewise. That, that's that's not, you know, my my thing. I don't uh, you know, uh, I don't mind that that people do it, uh, but it's not me. So it's national like chocolate mousse day. A national stay at home because you're well day, not because you're sick, but because you're well. And it's also national personal space day. That is all the days that are celebrated here on uh, November the 30th, 2023. Hey, our first show of December will be tomorrow. And we'll have Tom Raffio with us, Kitty Ray, and all kinds of fun tomorrow with the Friday Fun Bunch right here on WKXL. want to thank Chris Hatfield for joining us, the executive editor of SoxProspects.com. I'll tell you what, that is, if you're a Red Sox fan or just a baseball fan in general, you will love SoxProspects.com. It's not like uh, a lot of teams have a website like that. The Red Sox are, are very blessed to have these guys, uh, mostly on a volunteer basis, uh, put Sox Prospects together to the tune of... 18 million views a year for SoxProspects.com. Uh, that, that is truly amazing. Someday, we will get our WKXL website up to that level of 18 million views a day. Maybe after we start Vanity Insanity. Who knows? We will have to find out. 
Folks, thanks for joining us today. Always a delight to have you with us. Stay tuned for some more great programming here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. And remember, always look on the bright side of life. Have a great Thursday, everybody.